Yeah, so there was a, my family one time in 2002 said we're going to move to California. There's nothing in Michigan for us. There's a large Afghan population out in California. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, great. Told my teacher they had a party for me. Got home that day from school and my grandpa and my mom were like, we're not moving. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go back to school the next day. <laughs> um, <laughs> and my teacher was like, what about the party we just threw? I'm like, sorry. So there was that one chance in 2002 that we could move. Won't you come along with me? Hello, hello. Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Sahar as the guest. Sahar is a college friend of mine, and during the first part of our conversation, we talked a bit about uh, a fellowship program that Sahar was recently accepted into, um, and we also talked about Sahar's childhood. Sahar is originally from Afghanistan, and she and her family were refugees from Afghanistan who wound up in the States. And so she told me what that was like when she was younger, getting adjusted. Um, and that experience as a refugee uh, was at the forefront, especially uh, years down the road when she um, was an undergraduate intern at the Cape Town Refugee Center in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, so she was working directly with refugee clients there. and. Uh, now, just a note about that center, I did some looking around and Sahar did some asking around and uh, she was able to confirm that unfortunately that center, the Cape Town Refugee Center, is closed. Apparently they uh, were not able to secure funding from the UNHCR at the end of 2017 and so it's been uh, closed ever since, uh, which is a very sad and unfortunate reality that uh, I just would like you to keep in mind when hearing Sahar talk about the um, the different activities and services they were doing um, at the time she was there. And so then from there, Sahar, wow, Sahar's done so many things. <laughs> she uh, told me about uh, what she calls a, a life-changing experience, uh, volunteering in Mexico at a home for abandoned elderly people. Abandoned sounds like a really strong word, I guess, uh, but uh, you'll hear her explain what, what that was all about. So, um, And then after that, uh, after graduating, well, she led an international learning experience where she took uh, a group of high school students to the Dominican Republic, kind of doing the international learning thing from a leader's perspective versus uh, just a student's perspective that time. Uh, and then later on she did a similar thing with a different group of high school students where she took them to uh, Costa Rica. Sahar really has uh, gone to a lot of places and done a lot of really interesting things and she has a really, really strong heart for young people and for students. Um, and she currently works as a university recruitment coordinator, so that's pretty cool. Um, so without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Sahar Mahmood. First, I wanted to say thank you for agreeing to be a guest on this podcast. (laughs) I feel like I kind of pushed myself. I was like, hey, can I be on it? No, that's good. No, that's what I, I actually like when people are just like, hey, can I, you know, 
Um, I, I actually really appreciate that. And I apologize that I hadn't reached out to you before. Um, no, I really appreciate that you did that. Because um, I was looking for new guests and you obviously would would be a perfect fit. It just, I don't know, slipped my mind. I don't no, know. I get it. I get it. <laughs> well, thank um, you for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Um, and but before, because I, I would like you to, uh, even though it's not like travel or study abroad related, talk about the fellowship a little bit. But before that, could you um, introduce yourself a little bit for people uh -huh. who aren't familiar with you or what what you're into or, you know? Yeah. Um, so again, my name is Sahar Mahmood for anybody that doesn't know. <laughs> which is probably a lot of people, but um, <laughs> I uh, am from East Lansing and I went to Michigan State where I studied comparative cultures and politics. Um, that's where my passion for people, that's where my passion for other cultures falls and doing study abroad just went really naturally with my undergrad because you can't just study about other people, you kind of have to experience it. Um, and I was very privileged to have multiple opportunities to go abroad. I did three study abroad programs and I took two or three personal trips as well. Um, and I did all of that in my undergrad. So I really enjoyed it. Um, after after graduating, I did a year of AmeriCorps um, with City or San Jose, where I volunteered as a teacher and tutor for math, which is not related to my undergrad at all. Um, <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. I really liked working with young people. I didn't like the teaching part as much, but um, seeing the resilience that young people had really uh, pushed me to move more towards an educational role rather than like a policy or international affairs role. Um, and then I started working for a nonprofit where I worked with court-involved youth to do um, smart skills or s help them re-enroll in school if they've dropped out or find a job or maintain employment. Um, and because that was a nonprofit and that was grant funding, uh, the grant was over, so I needed to find another job. It feels like I've been bouncing around job to job, but hopefully I'll stay in my current role for a while, um, which I am a recruitment coordinator in the Residential College in the Arts and Humanities for Michigan State. So I'm back to campus, I'm back in East Lansing, and I'm working to um, find young people who are passionate about the arts, about the humanities, and want to make the world a better place through this degree. Um, so I'm back on campus and then this fellowship that I got, I just started last week. So I hope I can um, do the program justice by talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, it's basically, it, it started in San Francisco and I wanna say there's about uh, 20 to 30 locations throughout the country. And what it is, is they find millennials, they find young people and they train them to be better leaders and to go into politics maybe or policy um, or even whatever profession they're in, but to do the best that they can with, with the knowledge through this training, right? So understanding your privileges, understanding um, gaps in this progressive system and then tackling those on and trying to make it better for everybody as a whole. So I'm really excited about this fellowship. We just did our first weekend last week, uh, um, and it was very intense. It was um, like almost what well, we started at 9 a.m. both one day and then 10 a.m. the other day and went on till 7 p.m. and 6 p.m. So it was all day long, um, and it's once a month, so you do get a little bit of a break. You get to come back to your um, regular job, um, but it was very intense, and I really enjoyed it. I'm, I'm very humbled to be in this program. A lot of the other People in my cohort have either started their own businesses, they have PhDs, they are like doing amazing things. And I'm over here like, 
I am a recruitment. You're doing trainer. amazing things too, Sahar. I don't do that. You're doing <laughs> amazing things too. Thank you. I appreciate that. But it, it's very powerful to be in a room full of people, specifically people of color. We're a cohort of 21 people, and there's two um, men who are white, and everybody else is um, a person of color. Um, mm. So to be in a room of young brown and black professionals is so powerful and they're doing such amazing work. I'm just so humbled and so privileged to be a part of this. That sounds amazing, Sahar. Is this something you applied for or got nominated for? Um, so I, a friend of mine was telling me about it. So I applied um, about an hour before the application was due and I was on my way to like I came because I, I do recruitment, so I go to high schools throughout the day, um, especially during the fall. So I was coming back from a high school, and then I had a college fair that night that I had to go. So I had about an hour and a half to apply to this, and it, it was an intense application, and I submitted it about 30 seconds before it was due, and I, was, I forgot about it because I was like, I don't think I'm going to get it. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't put much effort into it, honestly. I hope no one's listening to that. <laughs> um, but I was I was honest and I was genuine, you know, because it asked questions about what are you passionate about? What do you want to change? Things like that. So those are my passions. So it, was, it came naturally to me. Um, so I applied really fast, forgot about it, thought I didn't get it. I was like, that's a waste of an application fee, honestly. Um, that could have gone towards something else. And um, literally they called me and they're like, do you want to come down for an interview? And I was like, oh, okay, this is real. So I went down for an interview. Um, and this is based out of Detroit. So I'm commuting from Lansing to Detroit for the program. Yeah. And I went and there was about 40 people and they said half of you are like going to make it. Um, and I was like, okay, well, there goes my chances even more. <laughs> um, but I, I got very lucky. They saw something in me and I actually sent the woman that um, interviewed me a uh, email. Uh, a message on Facebook and I was like thank you for believing in me and giving me this opportunity because like I said it's very humbling to be in a room full of people who are doing PhDs and businesses yeah. and CEOs and you know so yeah yeah but you know everybody has their own path and you obviously they saw something in you and you're you're in you're part of that cohort for a reason so you know uh even if it's to you, maybe felt like it was last minute, or maybe you could have put in more effort. You still made it, so yeah. you know. I still, I, I feel like it's well deserved. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I know this is not about your program, but I did have one more question <laughs> about the post. Yeah, like a certain, um, uh, like a goal or certain th something that you personally are trying to achieve through being part of this um, fellowship. Um, when I first went into it, I was hoping that it would kind of give me clarity on what my next steps are. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm in this recruitment role, and it seems like I'm. And if I stay on this path, then I'll go into advising and maybe, maybe potentially directing or something. And I'm not sure if this route of academia is the right route for me. So I was really hoping the program would give me a little bit more clarity as to whether do I want to go back into politics, um, especially given the state of our union right now. Do I want to work? in the you know micro level do i want to work in the macro level do i want to do um educational policy i don't really know so that's what i went into it thinking but it's given me this first weekend kind of gave me a whole different mindset made me realize that i don't really um necessarily need to be doing a certain thing to be happy but i more so need to be around um values and principles and things like that that make me happy rather than a specific um 
job or path or something. So I'm not sure what I'm going to get out of it. Hopefully more friends because being young and being in East Lansing, I don't have any friends. Oh, no. <laughs> All my friends left Michigan State. So. I'm sorry. That's not funny. It's just it is, though. It is. <laughs> I'm the only one that's commuting, so most people are from Detroit. I think one other person's from Farmington, so even if I do get more friends, they're not in the area. Okay. Well, yes, hopefully you will. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe just more leadership um, experience and more leadership training and the ability to grow that here in Lansing, maybe. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. And it's how long? How long is this thing? Six months, um, but there okay. is opportunity to become an e-board member, almost equivalent, something like that. So the people that are training us and the people that are putting these um, programs together for us have done the program previously. So mm -hmm. there's opportunity to stay within the organization afterwards. Yeah. Okay. Boy, that's exciting. And like yeah. I said, you like just started it with last week, uh, mm -hmm. so it's still kind of new and you have time to, you know, uh, explore it and, and get as much as you can out of it. And also, I'm sure, contribute what you can to it as well. So, uh, yeah, that's exciting. I hope I hope that it's everything that you need it to be. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. And then I'm going to send you all the information so you can apply. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm convinced. I want all my friends from undergrad to do this program <laughs> just because I'm gaining so much from it. Mm -hmm. um, you, I don't think you were an ICA. Did you ever go to Emerald or do Emerald or things like that? No, no. No, okay. So to me, it's kind of like having that same feeling of having friends who are passionate about similar things as you together yeah. in one space. So I'm convinced I want everybody that I knew from undergrad to do it. Yeah. Um, that's why, but. Okay. I mean, yeah, feel free to send it my way. <laughs> I will. Let's listen it. Here you go. <laughs> Oh, I'll look forward to receiving that then. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, talking about study abroad and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. um, I did, I mean, I don't want to dig like deep into your past, but like you originally, you originally came from Afghanistan, right? That's right. Yes. And so then... I'm on a permanent study abroad right now. Oh, really? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 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 and then you came, ended up in in Michigan. Yes. Um, I mean, how how old were you when you when you came over? So I was seven. Okay. When we came to the states, um, and we came to Lansing really randomly. Um, I don't mind disclosing my information as long as you don't mind hearing it. Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so my I come from a refugee background. Mm. Uh, my family resettled in Pakistan when the war started, and then um, some by some miraculous world, we got approval to come to the U.S. Um, it wasn't planned. It wasn't, you know, I mean, it was like wanted, but it wasn't something that we did anything for other than consistently apply. I don't really know mm -hmm. if that makes any sense, but by some miracle, we got picked to come to the U.S. and we got our location and it said Lansing and we had no idea. Well, like, think about it. You're seven years old. You watch Sesame Street and all you mm -hmm. know is like skyscrapers from New York City and a big yellow bus. 
-hmm. and like nothing else um so we were like glancing okay like that's where we're going and we came and we we're like i mean obviously it was like a million times better than what we had mm -hmm. um but it was a big culture shock and especially because i didn't speak english and i'm very very um outgoing and outspoken so i would just speak to everybody but not in english so people thought i was crazy <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was I was seven years old and we we got really lucky that we we came in February of 2001 um, had it been delayed even a couple of months I think with everything that happened with 9-11 oh, yeah. we would have never had that opportunity to come so we got really lucky um, yeah yeah and your family is still in Michigan y'all have been here ever since yeah so there yeah. was a my family one time in 2002 said we're gonna move to California. There's nothing in Michigan for us. There's a large Afghan population out in California. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, great. Told my teacher they had a party for me. Got home that day from school and my grandpa and my mom were like, we're not moving. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go back to school the next day. <laughs> um, <laughs> and my teacher was like, well, what about the party we just threw you? Like, Sorry. <laughs> So there was that one chance in 2002 that we could move. But other than that, we stayed, we were about like, what, four miles from our first house. Mm -hmm. So we're still in this area. And actually, when I was talking about that, we got lucky to come to the U.S. So my family, oh, and when I say family, I don't necessarily mean like mom and siblings and dad. I mean, like grandparents, uncles, cousins, all that to me is family. That's what I had in Pakistan. Half of us had the approval to come to the U.S. and half of us didn't. And 9-11 really delayed that. So they got their final approval in 2016. So they just moved here. Um, and oh. now they're in Lansing, too. So, yes, my whole family is in Lansing now. And I'm very, very happy about that. Wow. Wow. That's that's a huge blessing. That's a shame that it took so long, though. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It, took, it took 16 years. But, um, I mean, it was... Oh, actually, they came in 2017. I've been saying 16, but it was still, um, still we're united, reunited, and it's, it feels really good. It's like nothing's changed. We're just much older. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, I'm really glad that y'all been able to all be in the same place finally. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I, well, I know you you said that like even though you didn't speak English, you were still like outspoken trying to talk to people and everything. It, um, I guess in general, what was that? How was that transition for you uh, coming from? Well, it was Pakistan at the time, and then coming here. Um, I mean, was it was it? I mean, because you were young. Sometimes it's younger for people to adjust to new places, you know. Mm -hmm. But what was your experience like with that? Um, there were there were um, easy moments and challenging moments. So when I came, when we came here, there was a school in Lansing called Center for Language, Culture, Communication, and Arts, um, and I loved that school because every single person was from a different country. Um, that's where they put basically all the refugee kids, because like I mentioned, Lansing's a large refugee hub. And all my friends were either from Afghanistan or um, there were there was some from Afghanistan or Iraq or you know, different countries. Um, so I didn't really have to learn English, and okay. that made it very challenging for me outside of school. Um, well, inside of school too, because I wasn't doing well academically, even though it was first, second, and third grade. If you're not doing well, you know, um, that's not good because you won't get to where you need to be later. 
And then my family, um, my mom was like, okay, we're moving to East Lansing because the school system is better for my for my sister who was a senior who was a in high school at the time. Mm -hmm. So we moved to East Lansing School District, um, and I lost touch with all of my friends from that CLCCA, that school that I was just telling you about. And I had to, um, well, if you if anyone knows anything about Lansing and East Lansing. Um, my school's name was White Hills, and it's called White Hills for a reason. I think there were like five students of color. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm put in this new environment, and I'm forced to learn English, um, which is which is good because yeah, I, I should. But at the same time, it was very challenging because fifth grade's like the start of like puberty and changing and all that, and yeah. having to learn a different language at the same time was hard but i met my best friend of today that first day of school so mm -hmm. that was really good for me too she came up to me on the playground and was like do you want to be friends and I, not speaking english i was like yes and that <laughs> just uh, worked out for oh. us so, um, yeah i think being in a being forced to speak it it's similar to if somebody goes and studies abroad right like if somebody mm -hmm. goes and studies abroad and hangs out with all the people that they're in or the, all americans or all people from England, they're never going to learn the language. They're never going to learn about the culture or the people. Um, but if they're integrated into, into the community, they're going to learn it that much faster and much better. So I think the same thing kind of happened to me. Like when I wasn't integrated into um, American culture, I didn't ad adapt to it. I didn't adjust to it. But when mm -hmm. I was forced to, um, I did. Yeah. And it, I mean, it worked out, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Miracle. <laughs> I feel like that's my life. Everything just happens to work out without me doing anything to make it work out. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I was just curious because I don't know that much about Afghanistan. Um, what was your first language? Yeah. So my first language is Dari, um, D-A-R-I. But a lot of people will call it Farsi. And there's a specific reason for that. Um, Iran and Afghanistan have like history together. Farsi is the official language of Iran, um, and Dari is the official language of Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. But when I say official, it's the academic language, right? Okay. Um, what people when you when you're talking in slang and when you're talking out into the people in the norm, the day to day, you call it Farsi. But I think if you translate that here in the U.S. and you say Farsi, people think you mean Farsi is in the language in Iran but it's actually the Farsi of the language of Afghanistan. Yeah. So it gets a little confusing. So I say Dari because that is um, the proper slash academic term for the language, okay. uh, but I also speak Farsi, so. <laughs> you speak both of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Wait, so is it is it those three languages you know, for Dari, I, Farsi, and English? I also know Hindi and Urdu. Um, because I grew up in Pakistan, I learned Urdu, and Hindi and Urdu are actually the same language mm -hmm. spoken, but mm -hmm. they're different languages written. Um, so okay. I know them both, because why not? <laughs> so that's like five languages. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> but if it helps you, it's like I have them all mixed up in my head, and I can't <laughs> speak any one of them perfectly. <laughs> But you can you can you can use them when you need to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Cool. All right. I was just I was just wondering. Thank you for explaining that to me. Yeah. Um, okay. So you know you come here when you're seven, and uh, you eventually go to MSU, and you decide to study abroad. What 
was your thought process. Wait, hold up. At MSU, did you work at OISS? I did. You did? Was that before or after you started doing study abroad programs? Um, Before. So okay. I got my job at OISS my first week of undergrad. And I maintained it up until two months after I graduated. So I was there forever. Wow. Wow. Now, is that, okay, so was it Office, office for International Students? Office for International Students and Scholars. Okay, so is that is that like just international students or does that house like study abroad programs as well? Um, no, so they just work with incoming students, so in international students, mm -hmm. and then there's an office of study abroad next to them that does like outgoing. Okay, gotcha. Very separate, gotcha. but very confusing for me too. <laughs> I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> so like did working there, have any influence in your decision to go to study abroad or was that something you wanted to do going into college um i, I wanted to go i wanted to go uh, abroad going into college because my sister did study abroad when she was a student at grand valley okay. um so i always had the idea in the back of my mind and i um like i mentioned earlier i did three study abroad programs and i did my first one my freshman year it was a freshman semester freshman seminar abroad, um, mm -hmm. but it wasn't like the ones they have now or the ones, the traditional ones that they've had before where it's the summer before you start. It was the winter break of your freshman year. So between okay. fall and spring semester. Um, and I and I decided on a whim, like I think a month before the departure I applied um, because they needed more students. Um, and Jim, who led the study abroad, came to um, the large Madison lecture, like the 201, um, mm -hmm. and was like, who wants to go on the study abroad? Madison's giving $500 scholarships for all Madison students going. And I was like, pick me. I want to go. <laughs> I want to not be home for winter break because it's cold. Mm -hmm. um, so I went to UAE, United Arab Emirates, um, which more popular, the city more popularly known, Dubai. Um, that was my first official study abroad experience through mm -hmm. college. And it was for two weeks. Two weeks in the wintertime. So like, what was the focus of that, that program? Uh, so it was sustainability, but at the time I didn't know what sustainability meant. So uh -huh. <laughs> no one ever explained it to me and okay. I just kind of winged it. Um, back to here I am winging things, right? Um, <laughs> I it was it was a program on sustainability and seeing if Dubai is sustainable. Um, so it was two credits of that, and then there was some integrative arts and humanities courses in there too um, that I took. So the overall program was yeah on sustainability. But my year was the last year; they never did it again. So oh yeah, why is that? I don't think it was sustainable to go. Oh, <laughs> the sustainability program Ironically. was sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> man okay well i mean all right well i mean it is what it is um, <laughs> but when you went so your 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 like group was the very last one to do it mm -hmm. um i mean how was that for you had you been to to dubai before um, I had, but only like the airport on our way to the U.S. It was like okay. one of our stops. Um, so it was my first time and my family was pretty open to it because because my sister went abroad, but I also have family in Dubai. Um, and they were like, you better hit up your uncles and aunts and okay. see them while you're there. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Um, so my first time there, 
honestly was a little bit um underwhelming like i thought i would be wowed i thought it was like dubai everybody talks about it it's the place to be like um and i don't know if it's the way my program was set up or what but i just kind of felt like it was like meh like mm -hmm. um i don't know if you've ever seen um i am legend but it kind of felt like that there's lots of buildings and no people and as a person that's drawn to people and loves being around people it was just kind of like let's go see the cultural things let's go mingle with the locals let's go to the mosque you know like i don't need to be in the city where i'm the only one there or our group is the only one there so it was um it was a good experience and overall like meeting new people making new friends but um not necessarily didn't really think it through before going yeah well i mean like it was a chance to go to yeah dubai and it yeah. was you got five hundred dollars or whatever you know so. yeah um, yeah, I, I actually didn't end up paying for any of it, so I got lots of scholarships, so that was nice. Yeah. Even better. <laughs> Wait, so when you say that uh, it was, like, buildings but no people, is it that, like, like new developments? Like, there were all these, like, new developments, but there wasn't, like, much, like, much going on around them? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, so Dubai is in a desert. There are lots of buildings. There's lots of new developments. Um, and you'll see, like um sprinkles of people but it's not like a city like you would think like new york city or la or hustle hmm. and bustle you know yeah okay gotcha so and i'm sure it's changed by now that was 2012 so <laughs> anybody listening and who's gonna go to dubai i'm sure it's awesome please go <laughs> <laughs> yes please go uh and did you get to connect with the family that you have there mm -hmm. Yep, so I, just, I got a chance to go to lunch with my, so I go with my aunts and uncles, but they're my dad's cousins. Um, mm -hmm. So my dad's cousin, three of them, three brothers and a sister, and then they're all of their kids. And then my uh, dad's aunt, so my grandpa's sister and her husband, um, and we all got lunch together. And I think there was like 15 of us. It was really good. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I'm glad that you got to do that, even though Dubai wasn't like as a, as, <laughs> I feel as, like I'm going to be disowned by that family. No, I, no. <laughs> I mean, they live there. They probably know the like the the what's the word, the pros and cons mm -hmm. of living there more than, you know, someone who's just visiting. So I'm sure you won't be disowned. <laughs> okay. Oh man. Okay, so that was freshman seminar abroad, winter freshman year. And then when was the next one? So the next one I did after my sophomore year. So be the summer between sophomore and junior year. Mm -hmm. um, and I did three months um, in South Africa, in Cape Town specifically. Okay. Um, and that one was very different from my freshman seminar because. The freshman seminar was a group, a cohort of people. We flew together. Everything was already taken care of by um, the university. I didn't have to worry. I made new friends. We got there. We did the stuff. We came back. This one was I had to book my own tickets. I had to find my own housing. I had to secure my internship. Um, and I got there, and I didn't know a single person. So it was very different. Um, 
but I loved South Africa. I loved the work that I did. I loved the people that I met. Um, mm. And this one, as I was saying earlier about being integrated into the culture, because I went in not knowing anybody, I was really forced to um, meet new people, specifically South Africans. That's what that's who I wanted to meet. There, mm-hmm. the building that I was in um, hosts like. Americans or Europeans or Australians to do work in South Africa. And there were people that I could have just spent all my time with if I wanted to, yeah. um, just because they were right there. But and, and there were some really good people in there, but I really, really wanted to meet other people and meet locals, um, which is why my job was really in, an integral part of that. Um, I worked for South Af- or Cape Town Refugee Center. Um, so being... An, an ex-refugee um, or being a former refugee. I'm not really sure what the PC term for that is, but previously being in that situation, I knew that that's a group of people that I want I identified with, that I cared for, that I wanted to work with. Um, so I worked in the Cape Town Refugee Center and um, my, my whole team that I worked for were either refugees themselves in Cape Town or um, south africans and that was very nice and um i remember my supervisor took me to uh, south africa has these um these neighborhoods called townships which are basically uh, if you think of like i'm not sure what the term for it is but like the the bins the storage bins mm-hmm. if you think of that those are what people use for housing and um oh like the like those big shipping containers yeah. Those yep. kind of things? Okay. So that's um so neighborhoods that have those as houses are called townships. Mm-hmm. Um and that's where you see a lot of poverty, that's where you see a lot of um um like um need or lack of money or lack of resources, lack of education. Um, so, and they're called townships, right? I remember we would go in to work with refugees there, but he one day was like, All right, we're going to lunch and took me into this township, and I was like a little taken back, like, wait, I thought we were gonna get lunch. And he's like, yeah, this is where we're going. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be the best food I've ever had. <laughs> and I can say that hands down, the best food I've ever had. Mm-hmm. It was called Nzoli's um, with an M at the end. I, I don't think I do the name justice either, but it was honestly so good. And I was like, I would have never seen this, I would have never heard of this if I was with that group of Americans and Europeans in that building, right? Um, so experiences like that were very, um, very, very unique. And the the challenging side of South Africa was I was alone. I did miss my family. I did miss my friends. Um, it was a new adjustment. And it, at the time, like looking back, I'm like three months, but at the time it felt like three months are you kidding me what did i sign up for i'm so lonely like (laughs) that was the pros and cons and then it ended up so i went may like second or may first and uh, just because i had to leave earlier so i asked i moved my program Mm -hmm. a group of msu students did end up coming that second week of june so i did get a chance to have a little bit of that cohortness later on but by then i'd already adjusted i'd already met locals um Oh, and I forgot the main part of it. Uh, one of my advisors at OISS, the program, uh, the um, the unit on campus that I was working for, has South African friends who were living in Cape Town at the time. I, I think they still are in Cape Town. And she contacted them. Was like, "Hey, like one of my interns is going to be there. Do you want to like 
meet with meet up with her so they came and picked me up and we became like such good friends and we would go to vineyards together i would stay over at their house all the time and they actually live between Cape Town and East Lansing. So when they're back here, I meet up with them again. And it was just a really nice um, sense of community in that way, too. Yeah, that's that's great. That's so great. You're able to be surrounded by, uh, even though they're new to you, it's yeah. still kind of like familiar, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, they were the best part, I think, for yeah. sure. I was wondering when you, when you started talking about how you were working at the refugee center there because um, uh, as you mentioned Lansing is like a, a hub for for refugees I guess I'm wondering what um, like if there are any like similarities between the refugee populations you saw in South Africa compared to the ones that are in Lansing like are they are they people from coming from similar places or um, you know does the refugee population in Lansing tend to be happen to be larger than the one that you saw in South Africa like what were the I guess the any similarities or differences that you saw in that way yeah so the it, it was very different um for a couple of different reasons I feel like the majority of refugees in Lansing come from everywhere and anywhere. I know there's a large Somali population. There is an Afghan population. There's a Burmese population. So people are coming from all over a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, whereas the ones in Cape Town specifically were coming from Rwanda, Zimbabwe, Zambia. So like just border countries, surrounding countries of South Africa. Mm -hmm. um, so the populations were a little bit different. Um, and I think the trauma was more immediate for the people in Cape Town than it was here. Um, I think the people coming to the U.S. are refugees somewhere else, and then they come to the U.S. as refugees. Uh, okay. Um, whereas the ones in Cape Town were immediately coming down from their home countries, um, and the the traumas they experienced were much closer to when I met them than the ones I've met in Lansing. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, uh, I haven't had much interaction professionally with the refugees in Lansing. It was more personal and growing up. Um, yeah. So professionally, I was exposed to a lot more of that trauma, I think, too, because I did intake forms. So people would come to the center to be um, counted almost. That sounds terrible. We're people. But mm -hmm. um, to, to know who we have in the city. So we would do intake forms. Um, Excuse me. So I did some of those. And when people would tell their stories and then when people would talk about the things they've been through, I think that was much more, um, much more to, um, to my heart. Like uh, it hurt a little bit, you know, hearing that and seeing that and being around people that have experienced pain and trauma that way mm -hmm. versus here I haven't experienced that. So I don't necessarily know what people have been through. Um, and again, I think that being once removed um, kind of makes it a little bit different. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I guess I, I'm I'm not really familiar with what sort of like crises would um, what uh, that are going on that would lead people to you know end up becoming refugees in uh, well in this instance Cape Town. I mean, do you know what's going on in, or at the time, what was going on that that was kind of like the impetus for a lot of people who ended up at the refugee center in Cape Town? 
Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with lack of resources and civil wars going on, right? A lot of people are fleeing uh, violent situations and not personal violence, but more countrywide whole violence. Um, and people are trying to escape that and find um, find um, refuge, find safety that they don't have in their homes, whether that's being attacked by a different population or not. So I think um, I would say war is the main thing people are escaping. Um, but according to UNHCR, there's like a five categories that um, you can have to be met as a refugee. Um, and I think war is one of them. I think pro not process. I'm going to look it up because it's going to bother me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. And it's funny that I I almost forgot it because I it was so drilled in my head when mm -hmm. I did the internship um, because we did have to specifically classify people as official quote unquote refugees. You know, you can't just claim refugee status without these specific criteria. Mm -hmm. But so yeah, there are specific criteria, and I I'm sorry that I don't know and can't find. Oh, that's okay. So you have basically had to like, um, like I guess when you're creating a, I guess a file on the the people who come to the center, you have to put down like the reason, like whatever that general classification was right. for that their refugee status. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, were there a lot of other like, um, like university students or even American university students? Stu ooh. American University students who were interns at this place? Yeah, there were actually. So Cape Town Refugee Center, not only do they work with the agency that I was um, went through, they also work with MSU. So there's oh, okay. a line of MSU students who've like gone before me and after me at this okay. agency. Um, so there's a partnership in that. Um, but there were other students, other interns with me from different universities um, throughout the U.S. and such. So yeah, they do. They do have that capacity to have us as interns. Okay. Okay. With you having um, been a refugee, I don't know if you still consider yourself a refugee, um, but like, I guess because you're working with them in a, in a professional uh, sort of. Uh, a professional sense, but you also kind of have a similar experience to them, even though you come from a different place and, mm -hmm. and all that. Uh, I guess I'm wondering how like your personal experience informs like the work that you did while you were in Cape Town. Yeah. Um, I think it, it, it that was a big challenge for me, keeping it professional, mm -hmm. um, not letting it really get to me. And there there were points where I did cry in front of clients. Um, there were points where I had to walk away and cry alone um, because I am human. But I also think it helped me empathize with them because um, they they saw me and I, and I felt comfortable enough to tell them that I came from a similar situation. Um, and I think, I'm not sure if I can, I, I definitely can't speak for all refugees, but speaking personally, um, as a refugee, you hope or you wonder if you'll ever have like a, a home, a home, a home state, mm -hmm. like a, uh, something to claim to. Um, and I and I feel like I do. Yeah. When I got my citizenship here in the U.S., um, I felt like yes, this is my home. This is where I belong. Um, and I think for a lot of refugees, getting that green card status or getting those um, 
official documents or official um, citizenship is that green like light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times when they would see me and they would talk to me, um, it kind of helped them understand that like this this happens obviously, but there there are success stories, right? Because you hear so many times that like there's so much violence in camps, there's so much re um, xenophobia that happens, there's so many attacks that happen on refugees, but there is a possibility, there is a chance to be in a, a part of that culture that you want, um, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. um, so it really helped me build a, a very special bond with the people that I worked with, specifically the women, um, because I saw them like my mom, I saw them like my aunts, you know, yeah. I saw them like family because I, I see the discomfort, I see the sadness, um, or I saw the sadness and I saw the discomfort um, and it made me um, empathize better and care for them on a whole new level that I don't think I would have had the capacity to do so had I not experienced it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I worked oh. on a specific project. Um, so a lot of the interns did intake forms and assessment and distribution of resources and things mm -hmm. like that. But I worked on one very special project that I was like, no one else gets a chance to work on this. Great. Perfect. I'll take it. <laughs> um, and it was a, uh, it was a grant program. So people would apply or uh, create these proposals to start their businesses. Mm -hmm. And then we would review the um, the proposal and grant money to, if, if we, I didn't make any official decisions. My supervisor would make the decision. I'd work with him to see if that business model um, would be sustainable, if it would be effective, um, and if it would actually help in the long term. And then they would so I think depending on the criteria, give that money back and then we would apply it to a different business in the community. Um, so that was a very unique, unique experience. I met a lot of innovative people, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people who were doing these things that I never thought could possibly make a living, um, but they were doing it and they were doing it well and they just needed a little bit of a push, a little bit of um, support to really yeah. continue that lifestyle because if they don't have these um, forms of income, if they don't have this gener generating money, right, they're gonna keep coming back to the center for for um, shampoo, for toiletries, for um, rent money, right? But if we create this business model where they generate their own income, then they're not so much relying on the center. So that project was very unique. Um, we started a sewing center for women. Uh, we started a, um, a childcare service that this one woman wanted to run but didn't have the money to buy mm -hmm. like the toys and stuff. Uh, we started a pottery business for somebody who he could make like clay things and sell them and like things like that, the little bit of a push that people needed. It was, it was really incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Is it a, a kind of thing where, because um, you were talking about people becoming, I guess, less reliant on the center as they became more stable. Is there like a, a limit, I guess, or a time limit, like for how long a person can receive services from the center? From what I remember, it was very um, need-based and they didn't necessarily turn anybody away if they really needed it. Um, so like some of the services were like food tickets, or um, toiletries, like I mentioned, or like small minor things like that. And at that point, I don't think people who don't need it wouldn't come. Mm. So they didn't necessarily turn anybody away. But um, 
but they were limited in resources, right? They couldn't yeah. just get everything out. Um, so they had to be more specific on making sure that the needs are being met without like taking away from somebody else. Yeah. Okay. But I'm sure they have a whole different system by now, right? Things change so much. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they, they didn't even have like a Excel um Excel system when I was there. So that's how like back data was. I I think they do now probably. So Yeah, yeah. I'm sure a lot has changed since that time. I'm so old now. No, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> um uh I don't I don't think you mentioned it. I mean you mentioned wanting to like um I guess be immersed in a different um culture and meet like new different types of people but um was uh is there a particular reason you went to South Africa to do your internship as opposed to somewhere else um so it was I had I had to do this field experience right and I had right. to do it this summer otherwise it would have been too late um and I I was looking at places that I could go and it was like, I really wanted to go to India and I really wanted to go to Thailand and South Africa was just brought up to me. Um, and like I mentioned, because MSU has that little bit of relationship with that agency, um, I almost felt more comfortable going there because somebody before me had gone and done the program, um, even though they weren't going with me, even though like I was still going alone, there was some trust in it still um, okay. as, as opposed to like, going to India and being completely alone and not having any other student follow that path. Um, or same with Thailand, right? Like not many people had done that specific internship, whereas like it's a, it seemed like at the time, James Madison was like rolling students out through South Africa. So I felt a little bit more comfortable um, going there just because it had been done in the past. And when else am I going to get a chance to say I lived in Cape Town for three months, right? Like Cape Town is such a cool city that you think of. Um, I'm sure like I'll get a chance to visit Thailand or visit India. But like as far as um, South Africa, I thought at the time, like if I don't go now, I might never get this opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, besides, uh, I know you said you kind of, you know, you're, your boss at OASS kind of connected you with people and you had time to, to venture out and, 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 um, you know, meet people who live there versus, you know, sticking with other like Americans, Europeans. Um, but, uh, like what kind of things did you do outside of your, your work as an intern at the refugee center? Like what, how did you for leisure or for fun? What did you do while you were in South Africa? I went to a lot of vineyards. <laughs> uh, there, there's a there's a whole wine country right outside of Cape Town. Um, so I spent a lot of time there. I think it's, if I'm remembering correctly, it was called Stellenbosch. Okay. I'm not mistaken, but um, those women that I was telling you about, they kept taking me to vineyards um, all the time. <laughs> and since they were friends with my um, advisor in OISS, I felt super comfortable and really, truly enjoyed it. Um, some other things I did, I would um, go like this, minor things like grocery shopping. <laughs> Mm. which is, isn't fun really but like in a different country it is it's a little fun um it's a little <laughs> different 
yeah. Um, but like finding like where do I go grocery shopping, right? Like where's the closest one? Where's the best produce? Where's the you know that specific bread I like? Things like that. Like um, I did a lot of. Um, I'm trying to think what else I did. Um, once my um, MSU people came, we went out a lot. Mm -hmm. So I explored that part of South Africa after they came. I didn't necessarily do that so much on my own. Yeah. Um, you mean like nightclubs and stuff? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Cape Town has a, it's called Long Street. There's a huge, huge um, thing of like bars and clubs and restaurants, um, mm -hmm. which looking back, I'm like, I didn't really take advantage of that as much um, at the time. I was a little bit more reserved, a little bit more like, uh, let's be careful, you know, not so reckless, which is, which is good. I should have, but, um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So that was, uh, South Africa mm -hmm. and then there was a, a third one, right? Yeah. So my third study abroad, um, I went to Merida, Mexico okay. for one week as part of MSU's, um, uh, international engagement seminar or international engagement mm -hmm. something, um, I'm not really sure what the third word is, but it's a one week program and it's volunteer based. So you um, go with a group of other MSU students and during spring break, you volunteer somewhere. So that could, um, there were four different locations in the site that I went to and I got the one I didn't want. I was like, I really don't. So there was, you could either work with um, youth in two different categories um, or you could work in this like center and then you could work with like um, old, older people. And I was like, you know what, uh, after, and I did this my senior year of undergrad. So I was like, hey, like in two months from now, I'm going to be moving to do city year. So I'm going to be working with young people. So can you please put me in one of the young people programs? Mm -hmm. Like that's the one I want. And they were like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And they didn't. They put me um, with the program that works with the older population, which is the okay. only one I didn't want. I was like, I don't want to. You know, I don't really have anything to give. I'm not going to really gain anything. And boy, was I wrong. Um, that week in Mexico was the most life-changing study abroad I've ever done. I was like, I was in awe, first of all, at the resilience of older people. I was like, I by, by like, um, so a little bit of background about the agency that I worked at. And directly translated, it's called Abandoned Grandparents. So this oh one, my goodness! Yeah, That's yeah. Oh. So this, um, this woman uh, opened her home to um, older people in the streets who didn't have anywhere to go, who were kicked out by their families, either due to they had a disability, they had a mental health problem, they had um, needs that the family couldn't met, meet, or things like that. So she opened her house and started taking people in. She's been doing this for a long, long time. So by now there's, by the time I went, she had about um, 30, 35 people living in the center for her. So mm -hmm. I was like, okay, what am I gonna do? And that first morning when I got there and my team went, so there was about five of us in, in each, or five of us, depending on how many the, the agency needed, the one we went to only needed five. Um, and we get there and we see these elder people not being able to function much, not being able to do things for themselves. Some people, some people are in the corner. Some people are like moving around. You don't really know who you can necessarily talk to or get to know. Or And actually, I couldn't talk to anybody because I don't speak a word of Spanish. So And they don't speak English. So I was like tiptoeing around. We were very uncomfortable. 
it was just like, I was like, what did I like get myself into again? Right. Like similar to that early stage of South Africa. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to get out of there so bad. The whole team, not just me, we were not in it. And then um, we were like, okay, let's go to lunch. Like, we'll see you guys later. We're just, we're just going to go eat, clear our minds. Right. We come back from lunch and it's their lunchtime. So the grandparents, we call them the grandparents. Mm-hmm. It was the grandparents lunchtime. And honestly, lunch turned it around for us because we saw the ritual. We saw the, uh, we saw the community sense of it. So everybody got together in one long table and they sat every single person down and people were serving them food, um, mm-hmm. like the volunteers and stuff. Um, and then we just got in there. We started putting plates in front of people, some people who couldn't use their hands. One of my um, one of my colleagues was helping him eat. And after lunch, like our whole spirits lifted. They were so loving. They were so sweet. They were so resilient. They had so much love to give. And and it killed and it killed me that they didn't have that family to give that love to because I'm so family oriented. And to see that they were abandoned and they were. Um, left out on the streets you know again i went back home my to my hotel that night and i cried again because like you see these you see these people and you see the traumas they've gone through and you see the 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 struggles they've had and you see how happy they are and you see what they've made of their lives and and the woman that runs the center like my god is she so sweet like to open her house to these people so and then like day so we were only there for five days every single day we were so excited to get back in the center we were so excited to spend time with these grandparents um and we got to like know them really well we i would go around painting the women's nails um and with no spanish skills at all like being able to communicate with somebody and build that relationship and at the end of the week when we were leaving we had like a party for them and um I have a lot of um, different types of music in my phone. I have a lot of Spanish music in my phone and no one else happened to have music. So I just connected to my phone to the speaker that they had. And Mm -hmm. I just started playing all these songs that they knew and they loved and I loved. And we just, we made them dance with us. And it was, it was so beautiful. And when we left, everybody was crying and it was really hard, heartbreaking to kind of leave them. And I, I actually, I don't think like a, a, a week goes by when I don't think about the grandparents. Um, they were they a very, very sweet, sweet organization, very sweet people. And um, I, I'm, I'm very, very, very privileged and fortunate to have had the chance to work with them. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really special. Mm-hmm. Um, were you concerned about, uh, like, working with an elderly population? Is that why you, that was the, the, program that you didn't want to be placed in yeah I just didn't think I would gain anything out of it to be honest because I was like I'm I'm going here and if I work with children I can directly apply it to my next job right or if mm-hmm. I am in a in a center doing these programs I can directly do that later on I didn't really think that that organization specifically was going to give me much back and I was so wrong like I was clearly so wrong it changed my whole view on my whole life um yeah, yeah. wow so that, that was only a week though right yeah. Yeah. and, and then, that was oh sorry go ahead go ahead I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you but it's it's so interesting to me to think that the shortest one the one that like I was doing just like uh, <coughs> excuse me <coughs> not just but like 
I was like getting credit, but smallest amount of credit. And it was my senior year and I was getting ready to go on and do all these other things to, to think the one that I didn't think would be um, the most influential was the most influential in my life. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so that's what I, that's what I was going to ask because it was senior year. Um, I don't know. You said it was for like a credit, like credit that you needed to graduate or. Um, yeah. I, I just needed like two more credits to be like full-time student to get my financial aid. So. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was wondering like, if it was it just like on a whim kind of thing, since it's your last year, you yeah. just wanted to go somewhere else or what the reason was that you would decide or ended up going, you know, second semester senior year. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. And, um, I mean, you said it, it It was like life changing. I mean, is, <laughs> was there some sort of like life lesson or something, something from that experience in Mexico that stuck with you that ended up like changing your outlook? Yeah, yeah, there was a, there was a lot of life lessons, like, but some of some of the ones that just come to mind are like um, resilience, you know, things happen. It's all about how you react to it. It's all about how you move forward not necessarily like sitting there in your own pity um and it's uh, it's about opening your heart and opening your home to people um i've become much more an open open person um i know that every time the holidays roll around and i'm i'm consistently thinking of like okay who who needs a place for the holidays or who needs an extra extra love on the holidays or who it's a cold night or like things like that right like thinking about other people um more intentionally and more and i'm not saying i'm out here doing all these amazing things but just being an open keeping an open mind to two people in that situation um and i and i wasn't cold-hearted before anything but like it definitely <laughs> made me it made me um be more open and more um lo more loving towards other people right and then also just like again the whole situation keep like how selfish of it was, how selfish of me was it to be like, I want to work with young people because it's going to help me in the future, right? Like, I think about that all the time. And I'm like, it, that wasn't a, that I didn't do that program to gain something out of, for me, I did it to get a different experience. And I should have, you know, gone in with it with that mindset that like, this is a different experience. So, but again, I'm human and I make mistakes and I'm consistently growing and learning and um, trying to better myself. So that's all I can do, right? Um, and, I'm, and I'm just so thankful to have met the, those grandparents. Um, I, I follow them on Facebook. So when, um, when I see something really good, it makes me happy. And when I see that one of them has passed away, I take a moment and I think about them and I send love to them. And um, keeping that relationship and keeping that bond for as long as I can is very um, important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Those are all so valuable. Yeah. Especially when you're um when you're in college, but especially like senior year because you're thinking about where you want to go, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to attain, what type of position you're trying to get or like what type of person you're trying to be or whatever. You know, it's very much like a uh almost like freshman year in a way. It's a very like it's very easy to be self-interested. Right. We kind of have to be because you're trying to plan the next phase of your life, you know, but it's like, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's easy to be self-absorbed during yeah. that, especially that year of college, <laughs> for you to be able to step outside of yourself for a week and be like, oh, wait, no, these people, 
uh, you know, are teaching me things or, you know, it's not just about what I want to get out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, I, I feel like that's, that was probably like so valuable to gain that perspective, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially the way things have worked out since then in the different ways you've kind of, uh, I guess, or like have served people through the different types of work that you've been doing, you know? Yeah. Um, it was, it's, it was a very humbling experience. Very, um, bringing me back down to earth, which I needed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't we all don't we all <laughs> now uh, okay so when i um when i saw the announcement on facebook about the fellowship and they had like a little blurb about you it says something about you leading a study or a couple study abroad programs yeah um so i so i did these three study abroads as a student um mm-hmm. and i and i've um, backpacked through europe as a student as well on my own and i've visited family in australia on my own um but professionally i've also led to study abroad programs um and one of them i did um through a program called global glimpse um and that's based out of san francisco mm-hmm. um and they work with educators um in in the area and i think there's a chicago base and a new york base as well but i did mine through south africa or <laughs> through san francisco mm-hmm. um and what they do is they um they have this this program has um locations in dominican nicaragua and um Ecuador, and it's open to all high school students in in that area. So in San San Jose, San Francisco, Oakland, um, all that Bay Area, and high in um, high school high school high school juniors going into their senior year apply. So the summer between junior and senior year, they have an opportunity to go to one of these locations for three weeks. Mm. Um, so then they need people to lead these programs. So that's when they look for educators. Um, so that's when I was finishing up City Year. Um, so I applied to this program because one of my colleagues in City Year actually did the program as a student. Mm-hmm. Um, she was from the Bay Area and she was applying to go as a leader. She was telling me about it and I was like, okay, yeah, I'll apply, like, let's do it. So I got it and um, it, and I led a group of 21 high school senior or upcoming high school seniors to Dominican Republic for three weeks. and. I've said this for every program, but that was life changing. (laughs) (laughs) And it it was because I was in a different light, right? I was in a different role. I was doing different things. Um, So this is where I think I used my my undergrad the most. Um, So my undergrad, again, is in comparative cultures and politics. And I did a lot of that, like things that I learned in my senior year. Like, um, I I don't even remember what the course was, but it was all about aid and development. Mm -hmm. Um, And I used everything I learned in that course to lead my study abroad. So every single night we did um, reflections and um, sessions to teach them about like things we're doing um, and then uh, journaling and group activities. That was every single night, but every single day was a different theme. Um, so one theme was like living on a dollar a day. Uh, one theme was like work, living as a farmer. One theme was like um, living 
as a not as a like a not being able to speak English, like different things like that, so mm -hmm. that they could see the challenges that people faced that didn't have all the privileges they did in their communities and their homes. Um, and my MSU study abroads were great, and I and I and I don't mean to bash on them, and I learned a lot from them, and I love them all, but I always walked away with a lot of critiques. I always walked away like the organization could have done X, Y, Z better. Like, why didn't they? Why didn't the people planning it do a better job? Mm -hmm. Global Glimpse was so well thought out, so well planned. And, and this is the planning that they did, not the training that I did. So the, even the things that they prepped for us, even the things that they did ahead of time was so well thought out. Um, in addition to that, students weren't allowed to have their phones on them. So mm -hmm. I collected all their phones uh, at the airport and then I distributed it back at the airport. So it was three weeks of genuine conversations, of genuine team building, of being so integrated into the community. And then the two people that we worked with in Dominican um, did everything for us ahead of time. So we weren't really like worried about anything, right? So we would go on tours. It was really good. And honestly, one of the, um, the, um, the coordinators in country offered me a job when we were done. He was like, if you want to stay here and teach English, you can. Um, and I contemplated it, but I had really bad allergies in Dominican. Like I was sneezing. I had tissues all in my face all day. I was like on four different types of um, Zyrtex and Benadryl and things like that. So I was like, I can't stay here because this feels like death. <laughs> I was to because it was such an amazing um, group of people to work with. It was such an amazing program to go through. And if I lived in the Bay Area, I would go again and again every single year and uh -huh. leave that program. So yeah. that was one study abroad I led. Yeah. Um, and that was really long. It was for three weeks. The program was really cool and unique, and it, and it ended in a really, really good way. So, um, like I said, every single day was intentional, and they were learning something, and, you know, they were, like, living on a dollar, working on a farm, et cetera, et cetera. But the last week was dedicated to community engagement. So the first four days, we got to um, know a community similar to those townships I was telling you about in, in South Africa. There was populations, there's um, communities like that in Dominican as well. And we got to work with the community and the students um, got to like go to different people's houses and like chat with them and sit with them and drink coffee and tea and get to know them. And then the last four days of that, we did a community project with them. And what we did was we, we rebuilt their community center. So it was kind of falling apart. So we put the like the wood plaques back up, they painted it, they cleaned it, they added some designs, but it wasn't like our students were doing that for them. And it wasn't like um, it was separated from the community, like us going in and being like, okay, we're going to do this. It was like the students met with them. They asked them what their needs were. They said, this is the money we have. This is the money we've raised. Where can we put it? The community said this. So we gave them the money. They bought the supplies. We worked with them to put the wood plaques up. We worked with them to paint and to clean. It wasn't like us doing it for them and it wasn't like us just throwing money and it wasn't like us saying, this is how you use it. But it was a very, very um, beautiful process of working for people and working with people and not working at people. Um, yeah. So there was no like saviorism behind the program. And I truly, truly appreciated it for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's cool. It seems like it was like a mixture of uh, kind of like um, 
like up for the students, like a mixture of, I guess, observation, like, like a field trip kind of thing, but also volunteering. Mm-hmm. So they kind of, they got to learn about the Dominican Republic, but also, uh, you know, contribute to the, the place that they were in and get to know people, you know, so that's, yeah. and without their phones. So like they couldn't, <laughs> they had to focus, they had to be engaged. You right. know? <laughs> it was hard for a lot of them. Uh, I, I remember having to console crying people all the time. Like you'll be okay without your phone girl. <laughs> um, or you know what you, you don't need to go home tomorrow. It's been a day. Like, um, so it was hard. It was hard for them. It was, and for a lot of time, it was for a lot of them. It was first time out of the country, yeah. first time away from their parents. And you have, I have to keep reminding myself, they were high schoolers, right? Like, so anywho, yeah. that was one study abroad I led. Um, the other one I led was through the nonprofit I was working with and the college that I work for now. So it was, it, it kind of helped me get my job now, I think, because they knew me. Uh, okay. But at the time I was working for a nonprofit and uh, it was called Peckham Incorporated and they partner with the Residential College and the Arts and Humanities all the time. They love each other. They do everything together. <laughs> so it's just a really beautiful partnership. And my, um, my director was telling me about how Actually, on my in, during my interview, I mentioned that I did this other program or through Global Glimpse where I took students abroad. And she's like, oh, we might want to take our kids abroad one day, jokingly. And I was like, I want to go. Please take me. Yeah. Um, and it just worked out. The woman who was supposed to go got pregnant and couldn't go. So then she had a backup. And then he quit his job and went on somewhere else. So there was this opening. And I was like, please, please take me. I want to go. <laughs> Um, so we got a chance. It was um, it was for one week, and I worked with court-involved kids. So these were kids in the court systems. Um, so this had its own its own issues and challenges because we had to get court approval, we had to get parental approval, we had to get state approval because, you know, if you have like, not I'm not sure what the term for it is. I should have learned since I work with it. But if you have like a not a conviction or a felony, but if you have a charge, that's the word, you have a charge against you, you can't necessarily leave the country based on the charge and the mm-hmm. issues and things like that. So my director did all the behind the scenes for that and got approval. And I did all the front work. So the passports, the cultural training, the family approvals, the the paperwork approvals, the video release forms, um, the small things like that in preparation for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was for one week and we went to Costa Rica and that yeah. was very nice too. Um, and we, because we went with the residential college and the arts and humanities, they already had a model that MSU students follow. Um, so it was really easy for us to adapt that to a one week program. And similarly to the one I did in Dominican, this was intentional in a different way. So we did a community project um, with Costa Rica as well. We built a plaque in the forest for people to meditate and reflect on things. Um, But it was very intentional in the sense that it was for the students to dig down deep, to reflect, to think about why am I where I'm at today? And how can I stop myself from continuing through this path? And how can I get my my friends and my col- or my my affiliates to stop continuing in this path, right? Um, mm-hmm. That there's more to life than smoking weed. There's more to life than skipping out on school, right? That if I just if I stay on track of this a little bit, then maybe I can do the things that I want to for the 
for the betterment of myself and the world, right? So that was the kind of whole purpose behind it. And it, and it was a very lovely trip. It was a lot of work being around uh, seven seven teenagers again for a whole week uh, and not having space. Um, <laughs> but it was, it was a lot of fun. And I have to give a lot of credit to my director because um, she's very fun. And I feel like when you go on stressful trips like that, when you're responsible for other people, um, you have to be fun and that's what she was so she yeah. made it really great yeah that's so cool that uh i mean obviously that's something that uh any young person any high school or, or teenage person can um benefit from being able to go to goes outside of you know their home country and and just get a different perspective of the world i never would have thought it would be possible for i mean because i don't know if these kids have like records or what their situations are but to target you know kids who are in the court system specifically to have this experience mm -hmm. is like so valuable i didn't i mean is that a thing that happens often like those type of programs it doesn't happen often, let me tell you. People forget about the kids who drop out of school. People forget about the kids who have issues at home. People forget about the kids that are struggling the most, yeah. uh, at least in my opinion and my perspective. So no one really thinks to create these programs for the students because they can't even pay for it, right? Mm -hmm. So they're like, well, what's the benefit? But this organization and Sarah, my director's vision was like, these kids are just as deserving. Like they need this more so than anybody else. Um, how's it gonna help if, um, I don't know, Carol's out in Barcelona, how's that gonna help her, right? But like, <laughs> <laughs> if these kids get a chance to go abroad and do something impactful yeah. and something bigger than themselves, it's gonna help them. It's gonna literally change them. So it was all her vision and it was all her push and motivation. And we're lucky that the, our organization was able to fund it all. Like not only did they pay for the staff, they paid for every single student. So not a, not a single student had to put a dime towards their passport, their food, their lodging, their experiences there. And it was all covered for, you know? So we were very lucky that we had the resources and the financial stability to do that for them. Um, and it, let me tell you, I did a lot of fundraising for it too. So there, it wasn't all the organization, but it was a combination of having that money and raising summit to be able to do it. In fact, they're going to go on their second one this summer. So they're taking another group of court-involved youth um, back to Costa Rica. So I'm very excited for them. I'm sad I'm not going um, because I'm a partner on the other side of it now. Um, and I keep asking my supervisor if I can go. Somehow he doesn't see how it would be related to recruiting, though. So, <laughs> Man. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe if not this summer, then like I don't know. Maybe the next time around. Maybe the next time, right? You can find a way to 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 be included in that. But that's so fascinating. Um, I'm really glad that you uh, told me about that because I just I, um, obviously you know you think about like underserved populations, especially underserved youth and things they can benefit from. But like I don't think taking them abroad is like a first one of the first things that comes to mind, you know, so I'm really glad that exists and you were able to participate in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did have a question. So when, when you went to Costa Rica, it was you and then like the, the, I guess your, your supervisor at Peckham, uh, 
and I guess whatever other staff who were there who went with the went to yeah. Costa Rica. When you went to the Dominican Republic, were you the only person from the from the states who went? And then you kind of corralled the kids and took them to, and y'all like met up with the coordinators in the Dominican Republic when you arrived. So there were for Global Glimpse, there was two of us, um, two leads, me and this other man named Tim. Tim okay. had done the program before, um, so he took a step back um, because I really wanted to um, focus on developing my skill sets um, because I thought maybe like doing study abroad could be a potential pathway after city year. Um, mm -hmm. So Tim and I took them to Dominican, and then in Dominican there was two full-time staff members, um, the one that I told you about that was leading the tours, and then the other one that offered me the job. Yeah. So the, together there was four of us, but I was the only woman on the team. Um, okay. And I think like as youth, as, as high schoolers, um, they can find more in women. Um, I'm not sure why that is, but I built a really close relationship to the students and I led all the activities. So we were a group of four and we supported each other, but I um, I took, I um, knowingly, intentionally took on more of the load um, just because I wanted to. Okay. Um, and then for Costa Rica, it was my, my director, Sarah, my supervisor, me, and then um, the MSU side of staff. Um, okay. There was four of us again. Gotcha. Oh, and actually, we took we took a court officer with us too, so there was five of us. Okay, yeah, I was wondering, especially the Dominican Republic one, like because you were saying, you know, they were looking for educators to lead uh, these ex these um, these experiences, and then it was like, so like, <laughs> like, do they just hire you and send and train you and send you? I guess I was thinking about like the responsibility because I was thinking like if you like you. I guess I thought you were the only one yeah. from the States to the Dominican Republic having all this responsibility, having to like, uh, you know, organize things, organize activities. And, and so I was like, wow, that's a lot to have to do. If you're, you're the only, not the, not all by yourself, but the only yeah. one. Coming. No, I think it would have been a lot to be the only team leader. Like <laughs> it was definitely helpful. And because he'd done it before, he was very, um, aware of some of the challenges that would come up and you know how to go about something excuse me but yeah okay no i couldn't imagine doing it alone right i was like oh my gosh <laughs> you did all that yes <laughs> yes i did waves hair right. <laughs> no but it was a, a team effort it was okay. a team effort yes um okay wow that is fascinating mm -hmm. um Wow. Okay. I could ask you like a million more questions, but I know we've already been talking for a long time. So uh, I just have a, a few more questions. Okay. I tend to talk a lot, so stop me. Oh, no. This is great. This is great. <laughs> I feel like I've learned so much uh, in this span of time just listening to you talk. So no, I think it's, I think it's wonderful. Uh, I don't want to keep you forever is my point. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh Okay. Oh, yes. So, uh, you know, you've, you've gone abroad in like different, uh, what's the word in, um, capacities. Forms. Thank you. Different <laughs> capacities. You know, you've done study abroad, you've coordinated, uh, these study abroad experiences. You've obviously traveled for fun as well. Um, I guess specifically for like the, um, study abroad, either as a student or even from the coordinator side of it. Do you have any advice for, um, you know, 
students who want to study abroad as far as like funding goes, um, anything that, especially if there's anything specific that worked for you when you were participating in these experiences? Yeah. So funding wise, definitely scholarships. Like there are so many scholarships out there that we don't even think about. Um, there's things called scholarship hunter, or if you, if you're a student and you're thinking about going study abroad, or even just are looking for scholarships, if you just do a Google search, Google search, put something unique about yourself, um, put the word scholarship and you will see so many scholarships pop up. Um, and then there's, there's different forums of scholarship. So like, I know that right now my mortgage lender is um, giving out a scholarship and they emailed me about it. Um, you know, so like seeking things that you wouldn't necessarily think of. So like whether that's banks, um, churches, um, community organizations you're a part of, they all have money and they want to give it to good causes. But sometimes you just have to ask, right? Um, and then, like like I said, organizations like the Peckham has a Peckham Foundation that has money to give out to community members, to give out to projects, to give out to things like that. So, like, I'm not putting Peckham on blast. Everybody don't go to Peckham. But, like, if you have specific organizations that you know of, just asking them for money, um, that's always helpful. I have a colleague who got an $8,000 scholarship for writing a 400-word essay on why he loves his mom. Um, so like there's different scholarships out there you just have to do some work for it you ha you have to put the time in if you think of it as a part-time job if you think of it um as an investment then it's gonna pay out if you just half-ass it and you're like well if it comes my way it comes my way if i see one i'll see one then that's what it'll be but if you're seeking it out you're gonna get it so that's one on scholarships mm -hmm. i have a lot to say about scholarships <laughs> um, as far as programs go i say like Think about what you want to gain out of it, right? Think about like, do I want to be out in Barcelona all night or do I want to be with a bunch of Americans? And if that's what you want, then that's fine. Um, but really truly think about your values and what you want to gain out of it. That's going to be unique to you. That's going to give you an edge. And then look for programs that are going to fit you best for that, right? For me, it was really important to be integrated into the community, which is why I wanted to go, well, not the main reason, but a reason that it worked out for me to go a month before the rest of MSU people went, right? So I could be integrated into the community. Is it that you want, a, like, uh, how much time are you comfortable with, right? Like, can you go a whole year? Are you going to realistically do well mentally, emotionally, um, holistically if you go a whole year without your family or your support systems or whatever um so really think about yourself yeah push yourself push your boundaries um do everything that's going to put you out of your comfort zone and out of your limits and learn new things about yourself but don't put yourself in a situation don't set yourself up for failure right so like that's huge um and i think for me that that was a three-month mark i think if i had done any longer i truly would have gone into like a uh not myself state because mm -hmm. it, it and i can't i can't i can't be away from my family that long <laughs> attached to them um so think think about yourself and don't go on study abroad because your friend's going or your boyfriend or girlfriend or partner or somebody you know is going really do it for yourself and and do it to to better yourself and to educate yourself not to not to follow somebody else so that's as a student going as an educator um, um let's see so much 
You're not gonna sleep. It's a lot, it's way more work than you think. Honestly, for the Dominican one, we would wake up at five or 6 a.m. We would be in intense programming all day, do the training at night, reflection at night. Everybody would go to bed at 11, but I would stay up planning for the next day till two in the morning. So then I would go back to sleep, wake up at six again. So it's like, it's not a vacation. Mm -hmm. Right. I thought it would be like, oh, my God, I'm going to get to go to the Dominican. It's going to be a vacation. Um, and it's not it's not a vacation at all. It's yeah. cool and it's fun and you learn new things and um, you're with young people. So they keep you energized. They keep you uplifted. But it's, it's, there's a lot of work that goes behind it, especially if you want to be intentional. I think it's really easy to do something half asset it's done it's over but if you want a meaningful program if you want someone to get something out of it you're gonna have to put the work in it and that goes both for as an educator leading it and as a student going to it yeah. um, and then lastly like for me the biggest thing is keeping an open mind to, to new things to new challenges to new people um because it happened in South Africa when I went to the townships and I had the best food of my life and it happened in Mexico when I met some amazing people, you know. Um, so just keeping an open mind wherever you go. And, and that could be applied to life, not just study abroad, um, but study abroad specifically. And also, yeah. I, I have so much to say. <laughs> uh, don't. Don't um, attract negative attention, right? If you're in a different country and you know Americans are perceived as, if, if you're American, right? If you're listening to this as an American, if um, if you know that Americans are perceived as obnoxious, loud, self-centered, don't go screaming, I'm an American in the middle of the streets, right? Like mm. try to be the, the best you can as a visitor because you are a visitor. That's mm -hmm. not your place. That's not your territory. That's not somewhere you claim, you know, your flag and shout USA. Like, no, this is this is somebody else's homeland. This is somebody else's treasure. Treat it that way. Be respectful and adapt to the cultural norms. Right? Don't bring your own cultural. Bring your own cultural norms, but don't force that on other people. And don't base your life or views during that time on your own cultural norms. So, mm -hmm. yeah. No, all that is really, really good advice. Um, oh, yes. Uh, my other question. Uh, do you have any, obviously, I'm sure you have places, other places you'd like to visit, but like off the top of your head, are there any other countries um, or even places domestically, I guess, that you'd really like to go to? Yeah, so I'm a big wanderer. I always have a list of places I want to go. Um, <laughs> I got a dog though last year, and uh, he's making oh, yeah. very hard to travel. Yeah, I can't leave him. So I'm like, every time I think of a place, I get really sad because I'm like, I can't leave him and I can't just pick up and go, which is kind of what I've done my whole life. Uh, but if I were to do another trip, um, it would definitely be either the Brazil, India, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam, um, one of one of those places and what i like to do and this could just be me is i like to hit multiple countries in one visit because i'm like i'm already out of the country i'm already <laughs> taking like a 16-hour flight i'm already paying a lot of money right like might as well um meet see different as many things as possible um so i think it would be really cool to do like a Cambodia, Vietnam, Thailand trip, um, maybe even Nepal and India or something like that. Um, but we'll see, we'll see. 
I, I've always wanted to go to Brazil. That's been a dream of mine since I was like five. Um, and ever since I went to Peru, and I know they're not the same, obviously they're not the same country and they're very different, but like going to South America, going to like Latin America, I just want to keep going back. I just want to see more and more. So like that really solidified my desire to go there. So I don't know. My dog is making me very stressed about not being able to go. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, maybe through the fellowship, you'll meet new friends who will be willing to dog sit for you. <laughs> okay, that's the new criteria of being my friend. Will you watch my dog? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, those all seem like really uh, fantastic places to want to go. And I I like your strategy, trying to, you know, kind of go to multiple places um, at once. That's a That's a really clever way to do it, for sure. Oh, goodness. Okay. Uh, where can people find you or, um, you know, where can people reach you or keep up with you, if you online if you would like them to do so? Yeah, let me figure out that out myself. Okay. <laughs> so I'm on I'm on all social media, because I'm a millennial, right? That's what we do. Um, <laughs> so if, if anybody wants to follow me on Instagram, my Instagram name is Sahari, S-A-H-A-R-I, dot mahmoud m-a-h-m-o-o-d so tahari dot mahmoud uh, uh, my instagram name i'm also on uh, facebook as sahar mahmoud um super easy to find i'm also on twitter but i'm very political on twitter and i'm very opinionated so i don't know if people should follow me on on that um because i say what i want because that's what people use twitter for <laughs> Yes, that's true. Yeah. So if, if you're politically um, offended, please don't follow me on Twitter. <laughs> okay. And if any, what if, if someone wants to talk to you about, like, uh, you know, your uh, the work you do with recruiting or if someone's interested in um, RCAH, how can yeah. they get to you that way? My email is super easy. It's Sahar, S-A-H-A-R at msu.edu so you can always reach out to me you can always find me i'm also on linkedin if anybody wants to connect with me that way i'm more than happy to talk about um study abroad cultural experiences politics because you know that's, that's my degree so uh those are the things i'm passionate about but i'm also passionate about students um student success specifically um and even more deeper into that um, student success for first generation, students of color, international students, um, those marginalized populations. So, yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I had such a good time talking to you, Sahar. Thank you for sharing about your experiences. Um, <laughs> Thank you for having me. It's been an honor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad you feel that way. I'm, it's been an honor for me too to just learn what you've been up to and um you know where you're at now especially with like your current job and your fellowship and uh, i just hope everything continues to be on the up and up for you and and drake right yeah, yeah. Name is drake and um champagne yeah. puppy huh champagne puppy <laughs> <laughs> oh it's funny champagne puppy that's clever that's clever <laughs> But uh, yeah, I'll let you go so you can enjoy the rest of your evening. Thank you so and, much. And thanks for doing this podcast. Like, this is so unique. So oh. thank you for having this forum and bringing your friends and 
um, taking people through this journey. So all props to you. Oh, thank you, Sahar. Thank you, Sahar. I've, I feel like I'm really lucky to have uh, to know so many people that this applies to. Uh, I guess for me, or I guess for you too, it's, it's thinking of people who studied abroad is not that hard, but like, in general, it's not something you hear a lot about. So I'm glad that I've been, uh, it hasn't been that hard yet to have people to pull from. <laughs> like, hey, can you talk about this? Can you share about this? You know, so I feel lucky that yeah. I, over the years, I've gotten to know people like you who can just, you know, just share and reflect, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so. if you ever need more people, I can always direct you to other people. <laughs> oh, for sure. I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. <laughs> Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Sahar. Uh, have a great evening and a great rest of your week. And I wish you nothing but all the best in everything that you're doing right now. All right. Have a great okay. night. All right, you too. Bye, Sahar. <laughs> all right, y'all. There it is. Thanks to Sahar for being such a wonderful guest. And I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists at younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Acast, or Stitcher. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for the next episode, uh, two weeks from now, the guest will be a person who was recommended to me by my friend Irene. Uh, If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you might remember Irene from episode four. You might also remember that she sent a handful of her friends my way. And so the next guest is one such friend, um, very lovely person who specializes in childhood development. And uh, as part of that, she has studied and um, field experience in South Korea and South Africa. So we'll be talking about South Africa once again next episode. (laughs) You can look forward to that in two weeks. Uh, But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.